0: welcome everyone to the bodybuilding down under podcast thanks for joining us for episode number 29 you're joined by your usual hosts myself dy dc and lawrence and considering the all well, the podcast is called bodybuilding down under i thought i'd test out the host's general trivial knowledge about australia so i've picked out three random oh, here, questions. We, here we go <laughs> i picked out three random questions and uh, unfortunately, they're not related to bodybuilding, but I mean, considering we're all patriotic, we should all know a bit about our country. So, D.Y., I'll start with you. This question says, Australia is home to these big things. Which one of these is not real? And we've got the big bogan, the big pineapple, the big banana, and the big kanga.
1: I'll take it. The first one, the big bogan.
0: You want to lock that in? Locked in unfortunately that's incorrect it's the big kanga.
1: and we don't even have a kangaroo but we've got a bogan
2: so where's the bogan
0: i'm not giving Brisbane, that information Brisbane Mall.
2: <laughs> yeah one of the one of them's in this podcast
0: <laughs> cool I'll, um well i guess that's a strike against DY. the listeners can uh take that how they want to and uh, Lawrence, this one's for you. How many Joey's can a kangaroo have at one time? Two, four, one, or three?
3: Or well, one, two, three, or four? I'm going to say one. Incorrect. It's three. Dang. So you could, they could be any up to three in the pouch at
2: once. Mm,
3: apparently. Damn, that's tough.
2: Is it not dependent on how big the kangaroo is, though? Wouldn't that determine how many mm. it can I have wouldn't have thought so. Or- no. Well, I guess
0: maybe they're specifying. Like is a wallaby, for example, is that a kangaroo? I'm not sure. We'd
3: have to look that up
0: because mm, no, like wallabies are yeah.
3: quite small. Yeah, but then it's also that it's like relative because they're going to be a, mm. a smaller baby. But like they're tiny when they're born. But at what stage, like, you know, can you fit a, a one-month-old, can you fit three of those in, in one pouch?
0: Like you could say the same about humans. Like some, some people have like five kids and at once. Like you, how does uh, the human cope with that? Well, bro, that's no way to live, honestly. That's yeah, that's but the hard.
2: difference is we don't go back in there after <laughs> birth, right?
0: <laughs> You'd hope not. So, do you see? Is this one for you? What do you call a group of platypuses a paddle, a puddle, a pottle, or a piddle? A pottle? No, it's a paddle. A paddle. Damn, we right. suck. Oh, well, gonna to re- we're
2: gonna have to rename our bodybuilding podcast.
3: Yeah. That's some of my favorite trivia is like group of animal names. It's always interesting. Like I'm pretty sure a group of koalas is called a parliament. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: (laughs) What? Fact check me. Well, that's pretty
3: disastrous that we got zero out of three. So
0: we'll have to do this again. And maybe we'll try bodybuilding trivia next time. And hopefully maybe some of the
2: listeners will have some cool Australian uh trivia questions to throw into the mix. Mm.
3: For sure Jack, did your because were your parents born in the UK?
0: Uh, my dad was, but not my mom. Did he have to do the quiz to get citizenship because my parents had to do that? I don't believe he's actually a citizen he's uh, oh. hasn't partaken in that yet. Far out we're gonna have homeland security popping <laughs> on the door. get him out of here. Well let's dive into some questions. We got some good questions this week and we'll start off on we'll start off with this one. It says, would you rather be a coach but not compete or be a competitor but not be a coach? And I'm deciding on whether this means like a coach in general, like you can't coach anyone or whether you just can't coach competitors. Because like that wasn't specified in the question. Well, I'm living out the second option. So I'll take that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what about for you? Like you can't can't, uh, see anyone who's a competitor in your practice Probably still compete, like compete myself, but then you would, yeah, you would never see a bodybuilding competitor as a client.
3: Well, I would, I would rather compete myself and still be a.
2: What is going on there? <laughs> Dy is just getting fed behind the, uh, behind the camera there. What was that about?
1: That was very rogue. I don't know what chip that was. It tasted like KFC. Was it <laughs> KFC locked <Nice>. in? <laughs> Now i got to sub that in the macros, you know, one chip,
2: one chip. Alana yeah, just with the, the feed, the, the fries
1: back. What is this? could see I was going catabolic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you
3: did the MPS could... spike. 100%.
1: Well, I think
3: considering for me as a physio, like that's a relatively small portion of the people that I see. Otherwise I would have to exclusively see competitors, which probably wouldn't be enough to make a consistent living. Mm and and i wouldn't get to compete so that's a lose lose from what my current position so yeah i'll keep my answer yeah that's fair but so we- if you do want to come see me and you're a competitor
1: you <laughs> don't live in this hypothetical word so hit me up
2: plug plug plug
1: plug cheap plug so so what are we going with here jack are we going with we can't coach competitors ever again or we just can't coach in general i
0: say we can't coach competitors i think that's more relatable
1: Mm, that's a hard one because i'm truly passionate about both so
0: mm, it's a good question
1: like if i could still manage gen pop i guess oh but then it's so hard i get like i said i get so much gratification from it i'd probably have to give up competing myself i reckon
0: well i guess you've already got
1: the pro card haven't you exactly so <laughs> technically undefeated in the last season too so i don't want to ruin the record
2: can we just like make like a, a separate sport called like body sculpting, sculpting <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> uh,
1: Does W B F F count? That's all yeah. I need to know.
2: <laughs> I would probably be the same. I think Dy, um, similar to you, I would probably give up competing. I think just because I, I mean, I'm, I make a livelihood out of out of coaching now, and I literally cannot see myself doing anything in terms of a professional career. So. Uh, it's what I live and breathe right now. So it's, yeah, I couldn't see myself doing anything else other than, than bodybuilding coaching. Mm. In terms of the com- competitive side of things, like I think I would still need a competitive outlet. So I would probably pursue something else, but I have to ponder on this decision for a while. Can mm. I compete again and then then make the decision up after? Or- <laughs>
0: it's a spur of the moment answer. Spur of the moment,
2: okay, all right, I gotcha. I'd have to sit on it for a bit.
0: I think for me, like there's unfinished business to do. So like I would I would choose to be a competitor and still coach non-competitors because I still get satisfaction out of that and I enjoy it. And I'll then reverse, once I get that pro card, I'll then reverse my decision potentially. But each to their own, of course. So this next one says, I'm not sure how to interpret it, but it says, have you ever carved up on, a, on donuts?" <laughs> the day before before show day or on show day or i kind of combine this with the weirdest carb up you've seen or heard about on peak week or on show day
2: yeah well it's funny that you like that that question right specifically around the donuts because i'm pretty sure donuts is one of the most prominent things that are backstage right at a Mm. at a at a a competition so i understand that the rationale for asking this question but i don't think it would be the most appropriate food to to carve up on i think because i mean typically donuts are also quite high in fats right so mm. i mean something you could maybe push in earlier in the day if if <laughs> if you weren't within a viable timeline of competing in the next couple of hours you may be okay but i definitely think it's probably the the least uh ideal food for for an appropriate peak week or a peak day right? the least
0: or just an, a non-ideal food just the, the olive oil would be worse
1: yeah it'd be yeah, yeah. it'd be non-ideal but i don't think it'd be the worst like no it wouldn't be the like, worst like, if you're loading not. up on fried chicken like that would be horrendous but it would mm. also very be very good at the same time
3: mm. i mean, I mean you've had mayo then it's all over
1: but yeah if you have the no mayo option
3: you're probably going to win the olympia
1: exactly yeah. yeah but like i guess it wouldn't be the worst especially if it was like a crispy cream or something like that i know they're quite high in carbohydrates and sugars with like not that much fats but like in the end it's it definitely wouldn't be ideal i'd say and i haven't done it
2: mm, i mean low it, yeah. volume
1: though it would be very low volume <laughs> but that, Look, that would disappear. It, you,
2: you probably could fit it in some way right so if you estimated if you had an idea around its caloric value its carbs its fats and then you're able to prioritize it at a time that's not going to interfere with, with, um, you know, timelining in accordance with prep, then perhaps you could, you could do it. If it was you know, much higher fats, then you might be able to push it in a little bit earlier in the day, something along those lines. But again, yeah, I don't think it's probably the best decision around, um, around a peak, but that being said, you do see some really bizarre things backstage, right. In, in, in terms of, um, consumption of food, like I've seen competitors eating sugar-free jelly backstage, <laughs> like i don't know yeah yeah i understand they're trying to make weight hunger's yeah hunger's the issue right like you're definitely hungry on on show day and things like that but i feel like trying to volumize food on the day is just not the it's not the goal right you don't want Mm -hmm. to go up on stage with a distended stomach because you've been eating your four kilograms of spud light and um and a kilo of sugar-free jelly backstage
0: Yeah, I've also I've seen some competitors. Not that this is like too crazy, but also eating like salt and vinegar chip chips, like trying to get in that hit of sodium as well as the carbs. But you get that trade off of some extra dietary fat as well.
3: Mm. Speaking of sodium, did you guys see the story, the AJ story of Thorburn? Shout out Thorburn, friend (laughs) of the show, with the salt shaker. Yeah. 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 (laughs)
0: That's the only way to get in. Salt backstage. so
3: good.
1: Imagine what that mouthful would have
2: tasted like. Or just grinding the salt shaker into the mouth. Is that what he was doing? Yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) And, you know, a salt shaker, fairly, you know, phallic object. I suppose it wasn't necessarily the most flattering angle with that sort of wrist (laughs) movement that he had going on. Just
2: put the music over the top of it. I want to get
0: breaking. Just
1: puts the lips right around (laughs) the top of the salt shaker too. (laughs) oh man yeah i like i
3: always find it funny when people are like backstage and they're still got a stage showing in their head like straight to the pizza or straight to that table of just like goodies and they're just like absolutely teen off on it because it's sort of like oh, i don't know Like pizza's another one like do you really want to be getting in all those fats pre-stage but then again like if you say you were about to go on you're not making the overall it's your last one of the day like, depending on how soon you you were going on, as long as it wasn't something that's going to distend you, would it even have much of a bearing? Do you guys think?
2: Not really. I don't believe. Mm-hmm, I probably mean, not. You know, we're not, we're not putting, we're not eating a slice of, or like biting into a slice of pizza and then it having an immediate effect, mm, exactly. effect on your body composition or, you know, things like that. So there is a delayed, delayed response in that respect. Right. But um, I feel alcohol like alcohol is of the time, also a common one. Yeah. I feel hmm. like once you open the floodgates, like, the water comes rushing in right so if you're backstage and you start having some snack foods you start having a slice of pizza and things like that and you've still got some categories and divisions to go it's probably not ideal right you can probably wait a few hours until you finish your your comp and then then have some fun with nutrition given that your you've finished your competition season
1: Mm. one that i found interesting is i I saw someone, uh, he ended up winning a pro card, but he was having large amounts of greens actually on the day. Like for like the first three meals of the day, he was having probably like a and 100, 150 grams of like greens, like asparagus, I believe it was, or maybe like broccolini. So, which was something that I found interesting. Cause I don't really implement nearly any greens on the day
3: What about you boys. Isn't Mm. asparagus one of those sort of old- Uh, I was thinning the skin though.
1: Like like he he was getting that thin skin, lost all the water from it. Yeah,
3: just peeing out gallons and gallons from the asparagus. (laughs) I don't think on any of my show days, because obviously you're trying to keep fiber to an absolute minimum. So I don't think I've had any fruit or veg before a stage showing on a show day. It's normally like rice cakes, rice, cereal, and then like right up at the end, like lollies and Gatorade.
2: I see the utility of maybe having some banana on show day, just as a means of um, mm. pushing in a little bit more like potassium, because we are, you know, obviously loading large amounts of, um, of sodium and uh, sodium potassium have a bit of a, a relationship in regards to like action potentials. And I won't go down that that avenue, but you know, there is there is rationale for for loading potassium the day before, if not the morning of a show day. So perhaps pushing in some banana or something like that in the morning might be a, a good call, but obviously considering total fiber and food volume and things like that as well is important. Mm.
0: I could also see like beetroot as well, but not greens because like beetroot is encourages vasodilation, blood flow, hence like supplementing with beetroot. But then again, you could just take some beetroot powder or something a bit more efficient than eating it and mm. some of those dried beetroot chips.
3: Mm. <laughs> dried vegetable
0: <laughs> chips are so good i'm not sure about the uh i'm not the nitrate content in in beetroot veggie chips though it
3: once it's been just like
2: completely i can't imagine it
0: being very high, right
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool well, let's move on to the next one i also looked up uh donuts and they have around like 15 grams of fat and like 30 carb approximately so it's not not an ideal trade-off there there you go <laughs> no i don't think any of us are surprised there so
1: did you search up the crispy creams though i didn't i can only imagine
3: that would be worse i'll I'll pull them up now as we keep going oh well if we're looking up stuff then i'm going to be looking up the koalas (laughs) because that's what really matters the people are dying to know oh damn i think i'm wrong what is it that website said it's a a cling but Mm -hmm. i'm not having it I want to yeah, say we clean to trees, right? Yeah, potentially. I don't know. We'll have to do some more research. Do you see this one's for you? It says
0: exercises we have in our program, but we don't necessarily enjoy them.
2: Oh, tough one. I mean, if I reflect upon exercise in the past, I think I feel I think I go through phases where I I enjoy something and then and then don't enjoy it. I mean, there's times where I've absolutely loved the hack spot and then there's times I've looked at it and I'm like, oh, fuck, I've got that today, shit. But we do it anyway because we know we need to grow and uh, it's all part and parcel of our, of our journey. But um, oh, God, I guess things as of recent, uh, I went through a stage of just not liking the trap bar. I think I'd use the trap bar for a good amount of time and I just kind of got <laughs> got sick of it. So I've kind of reverted back to dumbbell RDLs and, and barbell RDLs and things like that. So for, for the moment, it's probably trap bar. I don't want to touch it just because I implemented it for, for a long stint of my training uh, Well, within the last couple of years. So that's probably my, my, my one movement I've got a distaste for at the moment.
0: Have you got back into some hip, hip hinging recently?
2: Yes, yeah, so I'm back into... I've implemented... I've kind of progressively started using equipment that will allow for greater loading capacity. So I started with, um, 45 degree hip extensions with, with dumbbells. And now I've just navigated towards dumbbell RDLs. So the next transition from there will be transitioning back into some barbell work, but I've been starting to slowly reintroduce some, just some, um, barbell hinging, just to kind of get reacclimated to the movement again, before I actually run a a proper training block with it. But, Mm. um,
0: yeah. Cool. What about you, D-Y?
1: Mine, I've got a hate for like the seated hamstring curl. And just because anything over 15 reps just feels like my hamstrings are about to burst. Hmm. That and hmm. I guess like a single leg, uh, like that standing hamstring curl. Uh, I don't know. I just feel that one's so awkward as well. Those are like two, two of my hated, my most hated exercise, I reckon. But that being said, I still do the seated one at least nearly most programs.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, doing that one occlusion like that's even
3: or occluded like that's unbelievably painful it pretty much is occluded yeah like even if you have no bands on yeah it's pretty much is occluded because of like the pressure onto the pad yeah they're cooked dy you got to come to powerhouse mate they have a top-notch seated leg curl and standing leg curl yeah Uh, I'll, i'll change your mind
1: it's the hammer strength one. I don't know. It just it just feels yeah, so that's heavy at, at, it feels so heavy at one portion of the lift, mm. and then it's so easy at the other half. Mm. And then I don't really feel it can track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the three like weight get... ones are
3: tough. The Atlantis at Powerhouse is a cable, and it's yeah. superb. Really I feel
1: good. like a, I feel like it would nearly need to be a cable because like it'd be like more of an even resistance profile than just heavier shit in one portion of it, and then easy as hell down the bottom.
0: Yeah, I'm using a plate loaded hammer strength seated leg curl at rigs and the force profile is definitely quite different i've never seen one before actually light hammer. loaded seated hammer strength mm, yeah. wow is it, it good is. like the eccentric feels quite nice because you really have to control it but like the as you can imagine the the more shortened you get for the hamstrings like the harder it gets and it's very can be very uh difficult to get short but um yeah it's, it's a new challenge
1: mm.
2: Because
3: it's got like a, notes? there's... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> every, all, everyone's
0: it's just
2: all to in
1: We've got to all got questions because this is a very interesting piece I haven't seen before. Well, I was going
3: to say it like, mine would be a bit of a hot take. I hate the RDL. Mm. Like, it just doesn't work for me. Like, it just always feels uncomfortable. I, I strained my hamstring once doing it. So I don't know if that's always in the back <laughs> of my mind, but like, got no problem with stiff-leggeds. I like doing those, but like an RDL, I don't know if it's because my arms are so long, so I feel like I need to lower it like almost to the floor to get any decent range. But then by that stage, I'm also not feeling any of my hamstrings anymore. Um, hmm. so that and like a, a loaded pull up
2: are probably my least favorite
3: exercises.
2: Lawrence, As- it sounds like you're, um, you're catastrophizing this, uh, this lower back exercise, mate. You, um, I'm feeling rather fear avoidant DC. Actually,
3: now that you mentioned, am I a yellow flag? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I'm very fear avoidant. But yeah, loaded pull-ups as well. Like they're just so hard. Like I suck at bodyweight pull-ups. So throwing weight on there. I remember there was a, a while where I would have to do them at the start of every session. Joey gave me like one or two sets of, of loaded pull-ups um and yeah they suck i remember a point in my last prep where i was meant to do loaded
0: pull-ups and i just was sitting there on the bench and it was one of those struggle street moments where like i was feeling hypo and i just really didn't want to do it but interestingly that's one of the that's whenever i think of the hardest point in my last prep for training i always think of that moment even though it wasn't a squat it wasn't a deadlift but um probably yeah almost almost left the gym that day which says a lot for me and probably the exercise i enjoy the least at the moment would be tricep pushdowns like although they're not the the most difficult exercise
3: but <laughs> a, oh what a privileged
0: but, life you live <laughs> it's a bit of a first world training problem but it's mainly because like i can because of my elbow like i i struggle to do overhead tricep extensions and therefore i'm pretty limited to Push downs like single arm or, or bilateral push down. So I'm just a bit over them, to be honest. What's mm. the limiting factor? Is it your shoulders? I get uh, my elbow is quite sensitive
3: to doing anything overhead. Mm. Like you should try. Um, you should try a bit of like the cross body one. Mm-hmm. Like to do a little bit more of the the long head. I was watching okay. some stuff from Coach Kasim. um So is that sorry. like elbow in line
0: with shoulder or?
3: Yeah, you're kind of like elbow just above. It's almost like you're reaching for the seat belt and sort of pulling mm. it across yourself like that. I think it's really good, good exercise. Okay. But yeah, it is a bit, and it's a bit of a pain sometimes, like the dismount from that overhead position. You're having to like contort your body around to lower the weight. Like they are mm. a bit of a, a bit of a pain. It,
0: it probably is a bit of fear avoidance for me as well. Because like that's, I was off like pressing for like six to eight months because of my elbow. So now I'm a bit scared of of incorporating anything overhead. Do you still overhead press though with dumbbells? I do, yeah, without any issues. Well, I, I don't now, but I was just before.
2: Mm, one of my other hated exercises is the uh, the barbell hip thrust at the moment. I think I've just <laughs> just done too many hip thrusts in the past and that thing is just annoying to load. So it D- yeah. DC,
3: this is an interesting one because it's well established in the canon of BDU that your posterior, well, more specifically, your ass is massive. So it's like... Do you still feel the need to do like a barbell hip thrust considering you have to use so much weight and it's probably such an inconvenience to set it up?
2: Well that's why I just don't 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 hip thrust anymore with a barbell. Like if I'm mm. going to if I'm going to hip thrust I'll use like a plate loaded machine just simply because I it doesn't take as much to be able to it just doesn't take up so much time to load this that's, thing yeah. up. So that's that's really that but I tend to rotate a hip thrust movement into every second training block. So I don't I don't tend to add in a, a hip thrust upon every training block, but I do I do feel benefit for training my glutes and keeping them strong for other movements. So any sort of hip hinge pattern and squat pattern, if I go through a training too many training blocks without doing any sort of glute bias work, I do notice that these movements don't feel as strong for me. So I'm not kind of including it with the purpose of Adding a ton of sets per muscle for for glutes, mm. but more so as a means of keeping my other movements strong. If that makes sense.
3: Yeah, no, that's a that's a good rationale. I like that. Cool. So this this is a uh,
0: insightful question. It says, "Would you rather have no knees or no elbows?"
2: <laughs> I'm laughing because I threw this into the <laughs> into the question list. I was listening to um one of the the YouTubes with sorry one of the videos with um Chris Bumstead. And his videographer just like threw this question at Chris while he was in the middle of a set, and <laughs> I thought it was hilarious because the more you think about it, the more you're like, "Hang on, if I don't have any elbows, I can never feed myself, and yeah. if I don't have any knees, hang on, I can't walk up a set of stairs. So what?" I think at that point is? you're
0: you're no longer thinking about training, and you're kind of thinking about your quality <laughs> of life. <laughs>
2: yeah, well you'd hope so, right? Because it's going affect every aspect, not just your training.
1: See, I'm the opposite. I would consider the training at the forefront, and then the quality of life after. I feel like I could keep a better physique with uh, my, with keeping my elbows. Plus, I'd be actually able to feed myself. So I wouldn't. How, how would you into wipe your ass
0: with no elbows?
1: No, I'm saying I would keep my elbows, but I no, keep... I'm just throwing it out to hypothetically. You'd need yeah. a carer. Yeah. Yes. Sell the Audi and delivering a carer. chips and wiping Ooh. asses. Yeah. Yeah. Got the gurney but out. Well,
3: <laughs> I reckon at that point, it's like, if you can't have knees, obviously, well, knees or elbows, like obviously bodybuilding is out the window. So it's kind of when people say like, would you rather only ever train legs or upper? You can't compete anymore. So you no, may as well have physique. a good upper
1: body. You you could chuck a pair of board shorts on and only train calves because you, like, you don't need the knees realistically. The but calves. then you couldn't,
3: imagine your... You've been completely stick upright in those board shorts. Like you couldn't <laughs> even bend any at all. You'd just be like standing tall, hitting the poses.
1: You that better hope ridiculous. you got good symmetry.
3: You could do streetwear as well.
1: Yeah. You could do streetwear. Hmm. You could do streetwear. That's it. No knees. Sorted. Done. Locked in. Where would you, your, could, you could walk though. You could, where you would your quads wobble.
0: insert though, Lawrence, without knees? <laughs> well, well I okay. I know do they the don't knees... insert onto the knee, but like they kind of yeah. just wondering how that anatomy would work.
2: But okay, do we have a knee? But it's just not functional. That, so the knee, the knee and the elbow needs to be like fully extended. So there's it's no like movement. fused. It's fused, yeah. So but they, you can still see the knee. Uh, I guess so. I mean, I it <laughs> doesn't <that> actually matter. <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe there's no kneecap there, but there's just it's just one big bone. It's
2: just one bone all the way through. <laughs>
1: oh
3: geez well i think because i reckon that would matter because if you were just terminally locked in knee extension but your knee at least looked like a knee that would be a lot nicer than just having like a tube of a leg like the whole way down
2: when i when i put this question up i was like i wonder how much down the rabbit hole everybody's gonna go (laughs) with this question
1: (laughs) all the way down what are you locking in lawrence
3: oh I'm I'm taking no knees for sure because I've just built myself a decent upper body. I couldn't run or really walk. Well, walking I could manage. Running, <laughs> could you imagine the running? Like how? Yeah, I'll I'll take the I'll take functioning elbows. I'm with you, D-Y.
2: I think I'd be probably the same as well. Yeah,
3: yeah. Jacks, yeah, I like... really
1: want an RDL and straight arms. They don't affect it at all. Like <laughs>
3: you could do you could do wheelchair bodybuilding, but your legs would just be
0: straight out. <laughs> Well, it would be kind of just wearing stilts, wouldn't it? Because I mean, on exactly. stilts you basically don't have knees. Mm,
1: that's true. I could make the posing work.
0: <laughs> no, I pick. Uh, I put no knees as well. Yeah. Just have to. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll work it out. I'll get back to you guys with a with the plan. Okay, so Dy's this one. This one is for you. It says tracking deep fried food. How how would you go about it? Thought you'd be the one to ask here.
1: I knew this question was coming and I do have the answer. So when I home deep fried, which I've only done once, but I figured out how to do it. What I did is I weighed the pan with the oil in and then I weighed it after I had cooked my product and then whatever. So if you go to KFC,
0: you go to the kitchen and you ask to weigh that oil and then.
1: No, but I'm talking about if I'm cooking it myself, I just I just respect that they haven't put on any oil on my chicken, you know? Hopefully they've patted it down.
0: Fair enough.
1: Yeah, well, like the tracking the deep fried food, I go on the KFC website and I just hope that they've done the right thing by me and haven't stitched me up and they've weighed their oil pre and post. But if I'm cooking it myself, that's a, That's a different story. I can at least track that by weighing the oil mm. pre and post cooking. Um, on the scale and then what obviously whatever's lost is on the chicken i would hope <laughs> i don't know where where else is going but you know it weighs 200 yeah 200 mils of oil at the end uh free and then at the end it's 188 well 12 mils of oil is on my chicken but now in terms of tracking kfc you know i just go on their website and you know i hope hope old mate that's put it up there's done me, done me good
2: I'm pretty sure you can look up on the food standards website, like the Nuttab Reference website, and that has entries for different meats and a fried alternative, right? So, could mm. bet- potentially be uh, a means of being able to get some government data on on that sort of stuff, and just maybe even just cross reference it.
1: At least the listeners though are really getting their priorities straight, and they're making the move to fried chicken instead of boiled and grilled, <laughs> you know. And
3: donuts aren't before the stage
0: yeah. as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this how is the movement guys, i want
3: to see yeah how do you guys track oil in general like in off-season in prep like are you weighing it out are you getting a volume measurement the
2: eyeball in it mm, i actually think that's a great question so i i tend to use spray oil for comp prep and for off-season just because i don't enjoy super oily foods regardless but um i find it's it's quite challenging to weigh out your oil right spray oil because you put it in a bowl put on your pan, you try and sort of tear the, the the scale. It often won't pick up on just the the amount of oil that you you use on it. You might be spraying there for 15 seconds before it decides to pick up a, a measurement, right? So I just, I, I think for me, it's more about just being cognizant with how long I hold down the spray for. So I might just spray and count, you know, 1,001 and just very lightly coat it. I also tend to overestimate how much I use. So I actually put in, two separate entries like in my fitness pal i have a, a column for uh, extras and i put things like coffee and spray oil and my fish oil and all that sort of stuff in there so i tend to always account for additional
1: oil within my days when i track yeah nice i know jack normally goes off tequila shots <laughs> so whenever he does yeah his oil. i mean
0: that's a minimum i was gonna yeah. say like a uh, a cup of olive oil a day usually but no and to me be-
1: scatter it out all throughout the day like you know sip here sip there sip in mm, the pan. into
0: workout oil yeah exactly not injectables though of course <laughs> but i do have five mils of olive oil every day just to use with cooking and i i just eye boil it uh, these days and i will weigh it before and after and if i'm a gram short or above like i mean that's nine calories it's it's not gonna hurt me in the off season
1: worst comes the worst like legs are a little underdeveloped come stage time because mm. you just didn't want it bad enough
0: yeah, I'll live with Ah,
1: <laughs> uh, For myself, I don't use oil in prep. And then even in the off season, I don't really use oil at all either. Like maybe sometimes, and if I do, I'll weigh it. Like if I just need to lightly coat the pan, I'll just give it like a little touch of spray oil. But honestly, like 99% of my meals probably prepared without oil at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's because you're eating Zinger burgers every fucking meal, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Trying to conserve the oils. Like, ah, oh, don't add any oil to my my pan. It's like, mate, firstly, don't cook. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, all meals meal, that are my post-workout
1: <laughs> training meals contain no oil, all right? So do you just th- throw it in the pan, raw dog? Well, it depends. Like, if I've got, like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I've got a good non-stick pan. It doesn't stick. Like, you know, it really? moves around. Yeah, I've got a good non stick pan. It just comes straight off, no sticking at all. Meat comes out good. Far out, man. It's like an infomercial. Tell us more. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't tell you. What brand do you buy? What's that?
0: What brand do you buy? Lawrence needs your, your secrets. Just one of oh, the
1: higher quality. Get yourself a one. good
2: TEFL, Tefl pan, mate.
0: And yeah, the happy yeah. days. there you go. Not only if
1: yeah.
3: DY's got a code. If he doesn't have a code, I'm not interested
1: i don't know what's an expensive pan and whatnot i just said i wanted a non-stick pan for in prep so i didn't lose any of my macros just walked straight in got it and yeah I, it never sticks i even put it in the dishwasher and the non-stick coating doesn't even come off so works perfectly
0: you miss the back, black friday
1: sales though yeah exactly but you know when you're in prep you don't really care you're saving <laughs> money anyway because you're not eating out kfc's going bankrupt <laughs> Uh, I would argue
2: that prep might be more expensive though, in terms of food costs. Don't you think like, cause a lot of the things that you start to purchase.
1: Not if you eat out as much as DY does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's fair. I normally fair. go, I normally try to make an effort to go out like once a week to a restaurant. Then, you know, adds up with the zingers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he pays for everyone else's zingers as well. So everyone else in KFC gets a free zinger.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: So this next one says, uh we're almost nearing the end here, I think, in terms of questions, but do you ever get scared or anxious going into a leg session? I think we've discussed something like this before, but uh we probably haven't visited it for a while. So Lawrence, I'll let you kick this off.
3: Yeah, I think it probably for me depends on a few things. So, like obviously I've got legs tomorrow. Would I say I'm scared or anxious? Not really, because it's the first session back after the deload. So you're more so excited to get back in there and you know have a, a week of hard training again. But I think that it's pretty normal by the end of the block. Once you have some fatigue accumulating and once your training is at a you know pretty hard intensity where maybe you're pushing to like one or zero RIR, depending on where you are in the block, I think it's pretty normal to get a bit anxious or a bit nervous for certain exercises. I think it's probably something where there's a sweet spot you know like if you are a bit anxious a bit nervous you know it does it does tell you that you care and that you're you know putting a lot of stock into how you perform and you want to do well but i also think that if you're you know if you're in in tears before like you know calf raises or an adductor set like i think there's probably some bigger issues going on like i think nerves and and anxiety and emotion and stress like they're all things that you can use to your advantage but they can also get away from you like there's even sets where you know I've tried to get myself like very mentally aroused for the set and it's pushed too far and it actually makes your performance worse so I think there's a balancing act to it and I think that if you're going in week one after a deload or after a a week off or a couple days off and you're already scared and nervous for the first session back. Like, ugh, I'd probably say that's probably not a good place to be. You want to reserve those moments for the end of the block or, you know, like in prep, that's probably going to happen. Like, even if it is your first week back after deload, like if you're four weeks out and you have to go in and train a hard leg session, you're probably going to be a bit nervous and a bit anxious, but that's prep. So it's kind of the nature of the beast, I think.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm similar. Like the, well, interestingly, the deeper I've got into the off season the less nervous i've been for my bigger lifts or leg sessions like definitely using the hack squad at world gym brisbane after prep like there were times where i would get quite nervous and, and anxious and i yeah once i got past that lift I, I felt a lot better but nowadays i just feel a lot more confident sure there'll be some some nerves but it'll be much, much better than what I experienced um, having a like a lower energy availability or after prep when there's still just that lagging sense of not wanting to, to move as much as when your EA is higher in the off season when you're fed for a long period. What about you though, DY? I
1: probably wouldn't say I get so much anxious between each sessions. Like I remember in prep, like when you're sitting there and you're trying to keep set amount of like weight on like a certain lift, like... Uh, but I wouldn't say I would really get that anxious going into it. Like I would get like somewhat nervous, like, you know, shit, can I do it? But like, I wouldn't try and like, you know, worst comes the worst you drop off a rep here or there, but like, like I wouldn't get anxious even in the off season now. Like, you know, if I go into a big set, like I'm always hyped up, I'm always ready for it. But like, I don't really get that nervous feeling, if that makes sense. Like it doesn't really affect me or give me anxiety. Like it's more or less just, I'm excited, I guess, and ready to take the set. But that being said, I have been anxious in the past with like training and, you know, you've got like a huge leg day coming up, but I tried not to get too emotionally attached anymore, especially like, I guess in that negative way.
0: I think most people would get anxious potentially about the pain aspect, not necessarily about hitting the numbers. Like uh, maybe it's just me, but like if I, when I used to get anxious, let's say for an RDL, like it'd be more so about the pain and the intensity associated with doing that lift as opposed to like whether I progressed on it or not.
2: Yeah,
1: the tough could, thing I is I
3: like, think. oh, you can go dy
1: No, uh, yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. Like I said, like I remember it, like having like blood flow restriction, uh, seated hamstring curls, like you said, in like one of my prep programs on the back end. And it was just like absolute hell. And it was like, it'd probably be the thing that I least look forward to just because of that sheer pain. Like you knew once you were going into like that third or fourth set of doing like 20 reps, you knew it was hmm. over. Yeah. I think
3: it's tough, like, and, at risk of
1: not, none of us getting
3: out of our scope, like it's sort of thinking about, is it true anxiety or is it just a little bit of nervous energy? Cause like, I don't know about you guys, but as I've been pretty fortunate, like I suppose with my mental health, like I haven't really had any major struggles over the years, but there have been times where I've struggled with like episodes of anxiety and stuff, but like the anxiety that you feel when you are truly anxious, like to me, the, little feelings that you get like before a leg session, like doesn't really come close to that stuff. So I don't even know is like, is it true anxiety? Maybe not the right word, but you know, a bit mm. of nervousness probably.
2: Mm. I think for some people it might be true anxiety, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So There's for, going to be those. For, for others individuals, it may just be uh, a result of nerves because that particular session is important enough to someone, right? Mm. Similarly as to someone getting up on stage, they want to do well. They have certain expectations of themselves, and therefore they might experience nerves as a result. And I think that's quite similar in respect to the training side of things. You go into a session with a set goal of or a, or a set standard that you want to perform, and, and you might experience nerves because of that. And it's probably all lump sum into one one particular pace, just like you've mentioned. You know, Jack in that in that in that sense where you're also perhaps a little bit nervous around the feeling of it being tough, the burning sensation that you might experience. Um, hopefully you're not approaching that movement with a high level of, um, anxiousness in regards to the, you know, the movement's going to injure you or something like that, because I think that can obviously be not, not a great way of, um, approaching a particular set, but there's definitely that sort of perfect level of arousal, right? And I think some people may need to be more nervous to actually perform better. Some people who are a little bit too relaxed when they go into their set, perhaps they need to be somewhat slightly more aroused to get the most out of that. So it's that whole like Yerkes Dodson law, where it's that sort of peak peak level of arousal can sort of peak is associated with a peak level of performance. But um, it's probably a good thing that you mentioned there, Lawrence, in that maybe maybe it's a matter of identifying if it's just nerves due to due to you know it being a heavy set or is it actual anxiety that you're experiencing before before the um the set itself or the, or the session because, Certainly how you would then manage that and, and approach it might be a little bit different.
1: I did see that like AJ, I think for one of his clients ended up taking away the logbook from from mm, one of his- I think it was uh, George. One of his, yeah, exactly. Because they were so emotionally attached to like said lifts and especially in prep, like being so emotionally attached, you go into it with like some anxiety and that anxiety might have some carry over to the lift. Like maybe you might not perform- prefer- perform as well or maybe you might start off with a little misgroove where the barbell you know travels a little bit too far forward and then you're overthinking it in your head um i have seen that and i even have seen competitors in australia and like when they've they have such high expectations of themselves and just one bad workout and they'll you know burst into tears or one bad set and then it's like they need to rekindle themselves and then go again it it does i have seen people with it but
2: Mm, yeah i've i've definitely uh taken away the logbook at the, in the later portion of a prep i remember i've always been quite meticulous on like google sheets and tracking all of my training and metrics and volumes and all that sort of stuff but definitely towards the tail end of prep probably around the the sub eight weeks eight week mark maybe two weeks prior to, to jumping or two months sorry prior to jumping on stage i completely omitted myself from using my phone in my sessions other than for perhaps timing my rest periods which also helped with improving my I guess the the timeline or the flow of my sessions, because I'd find that I'd take it'd take a longer duration for me to feel ready for my next set. And I felt like, you know, when you're in prep, you don't you don't sit on the chair, like you sit in the chair, right? If you're not, you know, like sitting on the bench, you're sitting in the bench. Like you're literally right, you're so de-energized that having maybe a timer to go is is that indication of okay, I've rested for enough. I need to get up, I need to get going. But I definitely understand the association with being very tied to numbers in a logbook. And then if you are going to lose some some strength within a prep, which I would argue that most people will experience some, de- some deprivation of strength, like I feel like you can hold on to it pretty well. And you know, if you look at people like Keefe and stuff, like they're indications of people who can hold on to tremendous strength. No doubt, you know, you would have lifted less comparative to being in peak off season but you can lift you can you know lift significantly absolutely but if you're someone who is very emotionally attached to your lifts and seeing that go backwards then creates the premise that the rest of your week's horrible you've had a horrible day you know everything like that i think somewhat removing yourself from the logbook is probably beneficial and i just found myself removing myself from it because it just helped for me to i guess in a way just somewhat zone myself in into the session itself and how I was feeling and responding to certain movements, because there were some exercises that I'd have to sub out. Like if I was doing a barbell bench press, there's less fat pad on my back. I feel unstable on the bench. And then if I'm constantly comparing myself to what I was pushing the off season, it would create this, it would instill this fear that I'm losing mass. Okay. I'm actually, I'm not, not, not as strong as I was. I'm like, okay, let's remove this. not going to make that comparison anymore. I'm going to train how I feel today. So I'm still going to train very intensely. I'm still going to get it done. I'm still going to walk out of this session knowing that I've given it my all, but I'm going to just compare to how I feel now comparison to when I'm at peak energy availability in the off season.
0: How would you auto-regulate that in the sense that like because you're in prep, like your internal cues would be saying, okay, let's put a plate each side on the bench press. Like in terms of your EA will be saying that. But then, mm. yeah, like how how would you?
2: So it's I guess it's not so much an order regulation of um, the session itself, but more so the program. So like if I let's say for example, I'd programmed a six week block, and I'm running that six week block, and I finish that six week block, and by the end of it, I'm like, this movement is not providing a fantastic stimulus to fatigue ratio for me right now. It's hard to set up. I don't feel stable on it. I don't feel like I'm directing the target the tension to the target tissue. Maybe I need to sub this movement out for something else. So then, mm. then I sub that else, sub that exercise out. I create a standard of what my strength would be in the first week or so, and then I try and make progressions from there. I think what what I used to do is I'd pull up my logbook from like three months back and go, oh, I was lifting this on this movement, and now I'm lifting this on this movement. Oh shit, I'm twenty kilograms down in terms of strength. Oh, I'm losing mass, you know, things like that. So. I think the, the idea of me somewhat removing myself from the logbook was removing my comparison to myself three months ago, six months mm-hmm. ago, and trying to be more so in tune with my performance at, in that program itself, as opposed to previous blocks.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that will, can also be coincided with like changes in, as you said, biomechanics, like your fat part on your back getting smaller and like the barbell bench press being a less favorable movement overall.
2: Mm. The other thing I started to incorporate was, was a few more drop sets and things like that within, within, within prep. And it's actually something that I've seen like JP strength, uh, JP talk about a lot um, in his strength sessions, like within a prep, basically the inclusion of like, if your internal cues is telling you that, you know, you need to back off the weight, you can't keep pushing this weight. The premise of perhaps doing a drop set or an AMRAP at the end is it kind of forces you to an intensity that is conducive of, fatigue right in a sense so it's it's it may be beneficial as an intensity tactic within your training to still train to high levels of performance and and and, uh, and fatigue despite those internal cues saying to you hey don't take the plate off like don't train hard like relax you don't need to train hard like all those sorts of things
3: i think it's important just to like shift the goalposts a little bit in prep like obviously you want to maintain your performance as much as possible but i think that if you were to get you know, from weeks 15 of prep to week 10 of prep. Like if you're maintaining numbers or improving numbers and you're a relatively advanced athlete, like I almost would see that as being, you know, a bit confusing. That shouldn't be happening. And it, it maybe even questions yourself, like how hard were you really train, training in the off season? Because I've been performing the movement now. Like there could be exactly. Detriment. Yeah. Like something's got to give either. You're not training as hard as you, or like you're training harder now than you actually were or you're you know cutting corners somewhere be it through range or through execution or something like that but i just think if you can you know take a a maintenance or take a hold with the same level of joy as you would celebrate a a pb or an increase that's kind of how you need to look at it like you've you finish your off season the time for gaining tissue is is done for the most part and you need to shift the focus of, okay, the priority now is not necessarily putting more weight on the bar. The priority is stimulus. So like DC said, like if you're finding there's an exercise, like one of your compounds, for example, and you're just no longer feeling in those tissues as you normally would, and you think you can get a better stimulus through something else, obviously that's going to be better because if you're trying to preserve muscle mass, you know, stimulus is the goal as it should be sort of, especially in the tail end the prep. Absolutely. I think the key word there is stimulus, for sure. What was that again? Stimulus. It'll be the episode title. Yes.
2: Well, I've e- also got some game.
0: unfortunate news for you, Lawrence. Mm. So I know you aspire to his natural physique or previously thought natural physique, but apparently it's been leaked of uh, Liver King's s- supplement stack. Oh, I
3: know. <laughs> Just quietly. Like, uh, you know, we're not a, a hot take react channel, but I mean- that's not a, like a revelation like mm. it's like oh, okay we now know for sure Living so you're saying it wasn't his it's ancestral like, techniques mate like i'm sorry like if anyone is out there like i mean sure buy his supplements like try it out if you wanted to but like you couldn't like surely there weren't actually people believing he was natural because it's like he is like a caricature you know like i find him hilarious i think his videos are funny mm. i think he's just out here having a laugh for the most part but if making you, millions, yeah. Like, if you seriously thought that he was natural, then I think that's sort of a bit of, a bit of shame on you rather than shame on him. Mm. But you know, I just think he's like, I, I almost like, I'm not going to watch anything that he puts out as serious knowledge or information, but I just like, I, I just find it funny how someone like that has made it to this point <laughs> where he's like, he's probably making millions upon millions a year as just like a
0: meme really mm. you could say that about a lot of influences they're a bit of a meme but i i just don't like he was he was kind of adamantly saying that he he doesn't take stuff and then uh, i'm just going off lane norton's video i mean he he likes his reacts but like uh, somehow derek from no plates no dates got <laughs> access
3: to his uh more plates more dates oh my bad look <laughs> at the tongue. and <laughs> But and by he, that logic, no plates would mean no dates. So I think you're still on the right track. Yeah, totally. Maybe I I need to get on top of that name actually,
0: copywriter. But yeah, his, his um supplement stack got released, or his special supplement stack. Apparently, yeah, thousands of, thousands of dollars each month on GH and different compounds. How much creatine do you know? <laughs> well, I don't think that's very ancestral. Like you couldn't have created no, that. You're right. You're right. He He gets it through meat
1: anyway. He gets Mm. it through meat.
0: Yeah. Would you
3: rather be a vegan or a carnivore? A vegan, probably a vegan. To be honest, yeah. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I think I'd have to be a carnivore. I I, yeah. I just never have a main meal now. I don't think that doesn't have like meat in it. I don't think I could. Mm. But I'm sure that there'd probably there would be a lot more health benefits
3: to being a vegan. Mm. I'd imagine.
0: Like, i've just never been a massive meat eater either like i i prefer plants
1: yeah just when you put it like this you got two buns and then you got the lettuce and the mayo in the middle or do you have two zinger fillets and then a piece of bacon in the middle like that's <laughs> that's where that's where i'm thinking
0: no more cream of rice though lawrence like that's that's vegan
1: oh um, yeah so you could really but like could you
0: eat processed animal product like cheese or yogurt I guess so. It depends on the categorization of uh, carnivore you are. Yeah. Like, is it full and... What about like
2: egg, eggs and things like that as well? Is that still yeah. the, the banner of carnivore? And like, are you, are you raw know. carnivore
3: or are you cooked carnivore? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And also it would be a very expensive life. Like eating all that meat.
2: Mm. Mm,
0: it would. You'd have to go out hunting. Yeah. But hey, if I can walk like a liver king... How do you think he Same. gets that red tinge?
2: It's quite impressive. He's primal, bro. Yeah. There's also no no fiber in in that meat, right? So you might have one one shit a week. <laughs> yeah,
3: genuinely, yeah. But like, I wonder because you get people like Livy King, where you know he's obviously a very sensational character, but at some point, like there there had to be a transition period where he's like, okay, this could be something I could market. I'm going to dial this small part of my personality up to a thousand so I can make myself like a character. But now it, you have to eventually get to the point where like he just believes everything now. So like everything he's spouting out, he must just believe it. But I also wonder like if he goes home at the end of the night and goes, oh, another tough day of being a fake Livy King. And he's just sitting back with like a well-balanced meal. <laughs> and he's like, mm. oh, I wonder how much longer I have to do this. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Like, does he,
0: because I think, I mean, I, I've probably watched a handful of his videos, but I've seen him eat uh, different foods every now and then. So I don't think he's truly ancestral. He's cheating
3: on, on the diet. Yeah. He also flies a private jet. So yeah, yeah. I question some parts of uh, what's ancestral and what's not. Well, we know our episode title is going to be, we call out Liver King. Yeah. We react to Liver King.
2: <laughs> I wonder but if he's on show. Let's end on this. Becoming the uh, the new Lane Norton, the Australian Mm -hmm. version of Lane Norton, just just calling people out on their BS.
0: We just retitled the podcast to No Plates, No Dates. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: But Lane, sorry, go ahead. Didn't Lane just hit like a pretty big, pretty big milestone? Like, because he's probably the sort of the most popular in this space, the evidence based sort of fitness and and nutrition, you'd say, would you not?
1: Hopefully, Mm. you're not talking about breaking up with his wife as the uh what? as the main th- didn't you know no 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 like i thought he hit like a significant milestone like
3: <laughs> a billion followers or something like that not a marriage milestone you're talking about yeah yeah not a marriage no. milestone that's for sure no I'll, I'll leave his private life out of this
1: yeah Is, he, I, he, I think he hit right? like
0: 750k or something, uh, something like Instagram. that yeah because mm. he was on the Hooverman podcast or Hooverman lab podcast and then he was on some other big podcast which kind of boosted his
2: following quite a lot Mm, he's probably one yeah one of the more prominent voices within the the evidence-based community right Um, i'd certainly be scared to be called out by
0: uh, lane norton he's quite thorough he's (laughs) someone that you don't really want to argue with either
3: yeah it's a tough one though like the whole call out culture and fitness because i think there's like there's certain pages that they 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 start off putting out really good info and then they turn into just like call out pages And then, you know, all you see from them is these react videos. And sometimes I think it's like, I'm all for calling out disinformation, but I think sometimes they're calling out misinformation, even though the people have good intentions, like the people aren't trying to put out something that's incorrect. They may just have their facts slightly wrong. And I just think like, you know, there's probably better ways to correcting that sort of information. Like, you know, DM them and have a bit of a chat and say, you know, the evidence says this or that, like. I just think sometimes it's all, it just pins everyone against each other because it's the exact same thing in the physio world. Like half of it is just like people calling out each mm. other from the different camps. People
1: Do just Jack's love contro- giving- controversy. Mm. Waist trainers, stomach vacuums and Stairmaster kickbacks and he's just waiting to get railed by La- La- <laughs> um, <what is> it? <laughs> Lane Norton. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I'll take him on. Jack's a shill for big waist trainer. He loves it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Big waist trainer.
0: Let's end on this question. If you had to name your favorite YouTube channel, can be fitness or non-fitness related, what would it be? DC, what is it?
2: Put me last because I'm having to look at my YouTube to see what I follow. I mean, the most recent thing I've been watching is Chris Bumstead's uh, prep because I want to see how he goes uh, in this, this year's Olympia, which I think is like three weeks away. Four weeks away somewhere along those lines not far away at all but um i would say because that's the really the only youtube channel i watch at the moment that's probably you don't consume
0: any non-fitness related youtube
2: i don't watch a lot of youtube these days no not really
0: yeah what
1: about you Lawrence? or dc or dy uh i'm gonna tell you my the two that probably got me into the fitness industry the most when i was younger was like um what was it physiques of greatness which would have been chris jones which Mm. he does like a lot of he's like a natural bodybuilder like a lot of og posts like trains hard so he was one and then probably the hodge twins as well but now they've gone like full food reviews i think and not Mm. much training anymore
0: yeah i used to watch uh, a bit of chris jones back when i started back in like 2013 that was probably at his prime as well i would say
1: yeah yeah, I feel like he's fallen off a little bit now with mm. uh, everything, but yeah, he was one of the first that you know were that I watched when I started and he he was a funny character, you know, trained hard, teaches you the basics too, but then I guess you eventually move on a little bit. Mm.
2: Matt Ogus was uh was a cool channel to watch back in yeah. the day. Um, with just like a you know, basically it was that era of a lot of these channels starting to really gain momentum with respect to, to social media and, and educating the masses through video content and streaming and things like that. So yeah, I used to watch some of his content as well. That was, that was pretty cool.
1: One, one other one is uh Christian Guzman as well. He was like on the similar wavelength, but he's one that I guess really blew up and developed with the times. Mm. He, he's probably one of the people that have actually like set the standard for it. All of his he, videos were like super high quality. Now he, he went really all out. Mm. I
3: think I remember, well, when I started getting into bodybuilding and fitness, like I was watching like Callum Vodmoga, Bradley Martin, like those were probably two of my favorites. And uh, I actually met Callum at the Brisbane fitness show in like 2016 or something like that. And I remember just being like buzzing because this guy was like my <laughs> idol and yeah, so but did you guys ever watch um, Bro Science Life? They were like these... Oh, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah, with Dom Mazzetti. Mm. Man, I used to love those yeah. videos. like Just so like good, the yeah. satire gym content. But at the moment, I'm the same as you, DC. Like, I don't watch a ton of YouTube. Um, I tend to watch, like, I, I, like, pick a bodybuilder, watch all that stuff for, like, a month and then get sick of it and then go on to the next one. So I was, like, going through Brett Wilkin and then James Hollingshead and then Seabum. And then at the moment, I've started working through um, Alberto Nunez's prep series on the 3DMJ channel because I just love Berto. I think he's such a interesting guy, and I I really like the way he sort of talks about bodybuilding and approaches it. Mm -hmm. So those videos are pretty good. Yeah,
0: I'm watching. I started off watching like Christian Guzman mainly, and that sort of crowd. And if I had to pick a fitness YouTuber now, it would actually be Max Tuning, which I, I he barely counts as fitness, but I just like his his personality and. He's always very upbeat, and he has that uh, Sour Strips candy company now. I like how he incorporates aspects of his business and entre- entrepreneurial life into it as well. Um, yeah, YouTube is a massive place. There's a lot of it's like there's a lot of stuff on there, a lot of huge channels. I think uh, I think Mr. Beast just overtook uh, uh, PewDiePie as the number one most subscribed to YouTuber.
2: I did see something about that actually? Yeah. Mm. I don't really know who either money. of these people are, but I've I've heard of these names and I've seen them on like short clips and things like that on Instagram, but I don't really know a whole lot about who these people are.
1: I don't think I've watched a single Mr. Beast video, but I just know how popular he is and how hmm. much money is involved in it. Like just yeah, getting out hundreds crazy. of thousands of dollars just for like a bet. Like you just give him money, just like, yeah. I saw there was I think he gave one guy a task and he was like, however many times you can curl this one kilo dumbbell, every time you curl it I'll give you one dollar. And mm. the guy ended up doing fifty thousand curls. So <laughs> with a one kilo dumbbell. How many could you do, Lawrence, with a one kilo dumbbell? A dollar each curl, how many curls are you getting? Dang. Can I alternate arms? I don't know. I think it's gotta be one arm. I think it must be like dual arm, you know? Just There's go no until I've 50, got wrapped, 000, though, and continues. I'll take whatever I've got. <laughs> the, the, I think the guy was on the source from what I was, what I was mm. interpreting. But, like, you know, with a one kilo dumbbell, like, you know, how many can you do? And if you're getting a dollar each curl as well, like, the motivation's high. Like, you know, you I reckon a lot of that's curls. at
3: least $10 for loans. Easily. <laughs> <laughs> Easily.
1: Wait, how much is a zinger box, DC? Uh, what? What? Well, a zinger alone? Mm. Zinger alone, $6. All right, six Jesus, curls. Darn, That's man. a lot. Yeah. I'm not getting a zinger now. <laughs> PY will shout you when we go. Yeah, i get you one. Don't worry, Jack. I got you, man. I know the funds are tied up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good spot to wrap the episode up. Uh, maybe,
0: Lawrence, you can go away and do some, some dumbbell curls and we can check in next episode with
1: you. Absolutely. Bicep check up. up. On Rich Viana, eight-hour arm workout, non-stop curls. It's going to come back.
2: It's going to be a driving an Audi into the podcast with just one arm that's Jack. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for listening, guys.
0: If you enjoyed the episode, please uh, don't hesitate to leave a rating or review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And as always, we'll catch you next week for the
2: next episode.